So the, this week we're going to talk about ma'aser, or in Hebrew, taking, separating tithes. So separating tithes, while you may hear about other communities, um, other religious groups that separate tithes, of course, like many different religious concepts, it comes from Judaism. The Torah tells us that a farmer in Israel must separate ma'aser, or tithes, from their grain. When they grow grain in the land of Israel, they must separate ma'aser, they must separate tithes from their grain, as well as from their olives, as well as from their grapes. So if you go grow grain, um, olives or grapes, you must separate tithes. What do you do with these tithes? So they actually would separate not one-tenth of their produce, but they would have to actually separate two-tenths of their produce. The first tenth of their produce, and this was in addition to a number of other separations, there was a separation called Truma, which would be about 2% that was given to the Kohen. Um, but after that, one-tenth of the produce was separated and given to someone from the tribe of Levi. We know Levi was a distinct tribe that um, had a role in teaching the people and serving in the temple. The tri unlike all the other 12 tribes that were each given a portion in the land of Israel, and every member of the 10, 12 tribes was given a different portion, um, a different land. The tribe of Levi was not given land in Israel. Rather, the members of Levi were, lived in towns, not farmland, but in towns, um, and they were just given homes within their towns, and that was it. And so they did not have land, and so they would live from the tithes that were given to them by the people. The people would give the tithes to the Levi. Then they would have to separate a second tithe, another 10% of their produce. So 10% was given to the Levi, the Levite, and then another 10% was had to be separated. Now the second 10% called Maaser Sheni, the second tithe, um, would have, would, it would vary what you would do with it depending on the year. We mentioned earlier when talking about the Parsha, that in Israel, they worked on a seven-year cycle. Six years, they worked the land. And the seventh year, they would let the land lay fallow, and they would not work the land. So during those six years, on years number one, two, four, and five, you would take the second tithe, you would sell the fruit or the grain, and you could either sell it to somebody else, or you could sell it to yourself. Except if you sell it to yourself, there was a penalty, you would have to pay an extra 25% penalty. So, or you could sell it to somebody else and they would pay the regular value, full value of the fruit. Then you would take the money that was sold, the money of the, that um, you got from the sale of the second tithe, and you would take the money with you when you would go up to the pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year on uh, Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, and you would have to use that money to buy food in Jerusalem. So that money could only be used to buy food while in Jerusalem, and that food that was bought with the money of the second tithe had to be eaten in Jerusalem. 
So that was done in years one, two, four, and five of the seven-year cycle. In year three and six of the seven-year cycle, you would also separate the first tithe and give it to the Levite, and then the second tithe would be separated, and it had to be given to the poor. During year three and six, the tithe had to be given to the poor. And so that is what they did um, while Jews were farmers in the land of Israel. They would separate these tithes, give the first tithe to the Levi, and then the second tithe they would separate, um, and they would sell the money. Some years they would sell it and take the money to sp and spend it on food to eat in Jerusalem during the pilgrimage. And in years three and six, they would give it to the poor. Now, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council in Ju of Judaism, in the early days of Judaism, we know, added many different rules to Judaism. Among the rules that they added is they required Jews, farmers, to separate tithes, not only from grain, olives, and grapes, which were the most common crops grown in Israel, but also from any other crop that was brought, grown in Israel. So fruit, vegetables, any other crop, they also required that they separate the tithes as well. In addition, they also required, um, because um, that in the lands near Israel, notably in Syria, which was just north, in Lebanon, which is just north of Israel, as well as in Egypt, which is just south of Israel, Jews, many Jews were farmers over there as well, and Jews who were farmers there, they said, should also separate these tithes. Today, um, it, there are once again farmers in Israel for a very long time, um, from when we were kicked off the land back in Roman times until really the modern Zionist um, movement to go back to Israel in the very end of the 19th century for um, some 1800 years or 1700 years, Jews did not really farm in Israel. However, in modern times, Jews did build kibbutzim and farms um, throughout the land of Israel. There are a lot less farms today than there once were. Um, most, of, most of Israel is not um, agricultural anymore, but in its early days it was. And so there are once again farmers in, farmers in Israel. A farmer in Israel must firstly rest in the seventh year, as we mentioned earlier. And in years that they do farm, they must separate the tithes. However, given that circumstances have changed, the way we separate tithes today has changed a little bit. For one, because um, most Jews no longer live in Israel and we no longer have our ancestral land, um, it, is widely, um, it is widely believed that by most Jewish scholars that the tithes today um, are not required according to Torah law, but they are still required according to the instructions of our Sanhedrin, of our Supreme Council, so we do still separate them. However, we have a few challenges in separating the tithes today. For one, we do not know who is a Levite, who is a descendant of the tribe of Levi. Now, we spoke about this when we spoke about Kohanim, pre, um, the Kohanic family, a couple months ago. Um, now, we do know there are people who were told by their parents, by their fathers, that they are a Kohen, or they are a Levi. They are from the tribe of Levi. There are people who claim today to be from the tribe of Levi. Um, in fact, we have a tradition that we, people from the tribe of Levi, 
we give them the second reading of the Torah. Every time we read the Torah, we always call a Kohen to read the first reading of the Torah, and we call someone from the tribe of Levi to read the second reading of the Torah. So people do claim to be from the tribe of Levi. However, those people who claim to be Kohens today or claim to be from the tribe of Levi have no evidence for it. It is simply a claim. Because they have no evidence, they're called Kohani Chazaka or Levi'e Chazaka. We presume that they're Kohanim, so we'll give them the first reading. We presume they're Levites, we'll give them the second reading. But we have no evidence that they are Kohanim or they are Levites. So because of that, we are not required to give the Levi the, um, the tithes today since they cannot prove that they are Levites. And so therefore today what we would do is we would separate the tithe for the Levi. Now when the Levi was given his tithe, the Torah tells us, the Levi must then take 10% of his tithe, which would be 1% of the original, and separate that as truma and give it to the Kohen. Now truma must still be separated. It is not given to the Kohen anymore. Um, it must rather today, um, because it can, truma can only be eaten by someone who is ritually pure. We today are no longer ritually pure, so we cannot give truma anymore to the Kohen. We also don't know who is a Kohen, as we just said. So therefore, we separate, the farmer today would separate the truma, which would be what was normally given to the Kohen, about 2%. Um, today, they, you could give any amount, so you separate a small amount for truma, and that would have to be burned. You would then separate the first tithe for the Levi. Um, you would take from the Levi's first tithe, you would take 10% of that, which is 1% of the original, and that would be separated as truma to be given to the Kohen. But because it cannot be given to the Kohen and the Kohen cannot eat it, we don't know who the Kohen is today, and they're not ritually pure regardless, we would burn that. And then the other 9% um, can be held by the owner, um, until a Levi is able to come and claim it. And because we don't have any Levites to claim it, you do not have to give it to the Levi. You are the farmer is able to sell it or eat it or do whatever he wants with it. Then the farmer separates a second tithe, or Maser Sheni. And we still have the same cycle. In years one, two, four, and five, you would have to take that second tithe, sell it, and use the money to buy food in Jerusalem. However, today, though the city of Jerusalem still stands, however, because our temple doesn't stand, you have to eat the food in Jerusalem when you go to the pilgrimage for the temple. But if the temple doesn't stand, you cannot eat the food of the second tithe bought with the money of the second tithe in Jerusalem because we have no temple. So what do we do? So the rule is that if there is no temple, you can normally, you would, when the temple stood, you would have to exchange the fruit of the second tithe for the full value of its worth, whatever it's worth, and then take that money and use it to buy food in um, Jerusalem during the pilgrimage. But when the temple is not standing, the rule is that we can exchange it for a very small amount. So you, must, you take a coin of a very, very small amount, um, it can be a small silver coin, and um, you would exchange the fruit for, or the grain for the coin, 
and then that coin would have to be destroyed. How do you destroy a coin? So the Talmud says, throw it into the ocean. Throw it into the ocean, um, it's gone. Nobody's going to ever get it. So, um, so that's what they do today. So uh, that's in year one, two, four, and five. In year three and six, you would still have to separate 10% and give it to the poor. You don't have to give the produce itself to the poor. That might be hard for the person giving it and hard for the person getting it. Um, but what you can do is you can exchange it for its full value and you can distribute the money to the poor or to organizations that are going to help the poor. So that's indeed what they do today. Farmers today in the land of Israel separate truma, a small amount, um, and burn it. They then separate the tithe for the Levite, from which they separate 10% of that or 1% of the original, and they burn that as trumas meiser. Then the rest of the tithe for the Levite, they just mix back into the regular produce until a Levite comes to claim it. And because we have no Levites today, or we have no known Levites today, we cannot, we don't, they don't have to give it to anyone. Then they separate the second tithe in years, one, two, four, and five. They exchange it for a small silver coin and toss the coin into the ocean. And then they can eat the produce or sell the produce. And in years three and six, they can take the value of 10% of their produce and distribute it to the poor. So that's still done today in the land of Israel. And that is the rules of our ma'aser, of our tithes. Yes, Susan. You gotta unmute yourself. Okay. Um, is it required by the government to tithe or do people just do it voluntarily? Very good question. In the land of Israel, um, generally the country is a secular, the state of Israel is generally a secular country. So the country does not require people to keep Torah law. So the government does not require people to separate tithes. However, um, you're not allowed to eat fruit or produce in Israel that was produced in Israel if the tithes were not separated. So while outside of Israel, in the diaspora, we can buy fruit from the market, fresh fruit, without any kosher certification, because if there's no, if it's just fresh fruit, there would be no kosher problem with it, unless of course it may have come from Israel. In the US, we don't really have fruit from Israel. It's possible in Europe that they do have some fruit from Israel. But in Israel itself, before buying produce, before buying fruit in the fruit store or vegetables, you need to make sure that the tithes were properly separated. So if you actually go to Israel, you'll see every fruit stand or every fruit store or every supermarket, the fruit area in the supermarket has a kosher um, certification over it to certify that, that fruit and those fruit and vegetables are kosher and the proper tithes were separated. So while outside of Israel, we don't have any certification for fruits and vegetables. In Israel, every fruit store will have kosher certification. Um, now, you, in theory, the farmers could try to sell fruit and vegetables without certification, but since majority of Israelis do keep kosher, um, they would have a hard time selling their produce. Um, so most do separate the tithes um, and they're certified as kosher. Who, who collects the tithes? Well, the supervising agency of the rabbi would do the one to do go through this process. Um, again, the tithes are not given. The 
tithes are either destroyed, the ones that are truma, the ones for the Levite, uh, or exchanged for money, the second tithe, the Maser Shani, um, or distributed among the poor. Other than that, they're not really, they, they, we don't really separate 10% today because mm -hmm. the temple is no longer standing, because we can no longer positively identify Cohen's and Levi's, because we're ritually impure, we cannot separate the tithes in the way the Torah instruction instructs us. Rather, we separate a small amount plus 1% that we burn as truma, and we separate a, a silver coin, we take a silver coin that we throw in the ocean, and we take uh, two, three, year three and six of the seven-year cycle, we, take ten, we, we give 10% of the value of the produce to the poor. Um, that's the extent of giving tithes today without a temple, without identifiable Cohen's and Levi's, and while we're ritually impure. Thank you. So now, so this rule, of course, would apply not only in Israel, but as we said, um, the Sanhedrin Supreme Council in the early days of Judaism extended it to Syria and Egypt. Today, there are virtually no Jews left in Syria and Egypt. So, and even when they did live there under Arab rule, they were not allowed to own land generally. And so it has not been relevant for a very long time and not relevant really today. Um, now, in addition to separating tithes from the produce, that the Torah mentions multiple times, and as we saw, there is a complex system of separating these times. Our sages say that a person should also separate tithes, 10% of their income, of the money that they make. We find already in the Torah that Abraham, after he has a big war with um, the with five kings, with four kings, sorry, from Mesopotamian kings, saving the town of Sodom where his nephew Lot lived to save his nephew who had been taken captive. He has this great war and he wins a big victory, although he was greatly outnumbered. And he meets Malki Tzedek, who is the king of Shalem. Our sages, um, our sages identify Shalem with Jerusalem. And Malki Tzedek has a temple for God. And he's a monotheist like Abraham and has a temple where he worships God. And Abraham gives Malki Tzedek 10% of everything. It's unclear if it's 10% of the booty from the war or 10% of his general possessions. He gives Malki Tzedek as a gift. And this is the first record we have of someone giving 10% of their things to um, giving to God. The Midrash tells us that Isaac, Yitzchak, Abraham's son, gave a tenth of everything he earned. Um, the Torah tells us he became very wealthy, and he made um, and he made and he produced much, much more. His fields produced much, much more than expected. And the Midrash tells us that that was because he took ten percent of everything that he produced and he gave it to God. Now, exactly what that means, we'll soon talk about exactly where we give it to. Later, the Torah tells us that Jacob, as he leaves home fleeing from his brother Asaph, who wants to kill him, he turns to God in prayer, and he says to God, if you protect me and make me successful, I will give you a tenth of everything that I earn. Our sages say, that when the Torah instructs us to separate a tenth of our produce, um, 
to give to the Levite, Aser to Aser et kolt fuat zarecha, tithe, you shall tithe all of the produce of our land, of your land. There is an extra word. We know that every word in the Torah comes to teach us something. The Torah, the written Torah, we believe was written in code, and every word is there to explain us something. Uh, perhaps one day we can do a class on the code of the Torah and exactly how it works. Um, but the extra word in the Torah is coming to tell, remind us, tell us, um, or allude to, that we must, in addition to separating 10% of our produce, we must also separate 10% of our earnings to charity, that, um, to God. So now it would seem then that there is a strong biblical source for separating what we call in Hebrew ma'aser or ma'aser ksafim, a tenth of our earnings, um, to, and giving it to God. And indeed, some medieval scholars, the Tosfot no, notably, believe that indeed this is a biblical command. God commands every Jew to separate 10% of their produce, uh, of their earnings for God. However, many Jewish scholars disagreed with that and were of the view that while the Torah mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, separating 10%, um, the Torah doesn't explicitly anywhere say that one must separate 10%. The source that our sages found from an extra word in the Torah is what we call an asmachta, is only a biblical source found for rabbinic rule after the fact, which is something that we often do, where the sages would make a rule and then find an allusion for, to it in the Torah. Um, but the rule itself, they say, is a rabbinic rule, a rule enacted by our sages, by the members of the Sanhedrin of the Supreme Council, but did not originally come from the Torah. Um, it was not originally taught to Moses. It was a rule that came later. Um, however, there was a great scholar in the 1600s called Rebiol Circus, known for his um, famous work, Bayis Chadash, and often known Bayis Chadash is known by its acronym Bach, and um, as a result, Rabiel Circus, as many Jewish scholars in history, are often referred to by the name of their books or by the acronym of the name of their books. Rabiel Circus is often referred to as the Bach. And Rabiel Circus um, notes, says there was never a rule made that one must separate 10% of their produce and give it to charity. It is not, there is no source for that. Um, it is not required for one to separate 10% of everything they earn, sorry, and give it to charity, but rather it is only a custom. It is a Jewish custom to separate 10% and give it to charity, but it is not a requirement. There is no requirement to separate 10% and give it to charity. Now, many scholars argued with the Bach, including his own son-in-law. His own son-in-law, um, Rab, um, Rab, um, Rab David, was his son-in-law and wrote a famous work called the Turei Zahav, and he's also known by an acronym of his work, the Taz. Uh, he's the son-in-law of the Bach challenges his father-in-law's view and says, no, this is definitely a rule that you must separate tithes um, from your earnings. And so there was this debate, big debate, um, in um, the 1600s and later as to whether it is a requirement to separate tithes 
or it is a custom to separate tithes from our earnings. Um, however, most later scholars, while there was a great debate over it, a consensus appears to have been reached um, by the 18th, 19th century, um, following the view of the Bach of Rabiel Circus, that indeed this is not an absolute obligation, but it is strongly encouraged, and it is a custom in many communities that everyone separates 10% of their earnings, but there is no absolute requirement. In fact, we have it recorded that in recent generations, meaning in the 19th century, in Eastern Europe, most Jews did not separate tithes, did not separate 10% of their earnings and give it to charity, though many did. We know many, many Jews did, pious Jews definitely did, um, and many, many Jews recorded that they did, but we do have it recorded. Most European Jews did not separate tithes, did not separate 10% of their earnings. In other communities though, notably German Jews or Jews of Central Europe, definitely did separate tithes. And German scholars note that in their communities, every single Jew would separate 10% of their earnings, would separate ma'aser, would separate tithes. So in communities um, where everybody separated tithes, one is definitely required to do so. It becomes a communal custom. The rule in Judaism is that if your community is doing a good thing, and it's a universal thing the whole community does, they're all doing a mitzvah, then you must take part in it, you must do it as well. Um, however, in communities that where it was not, where not everybody did it, such as Eastern European communities, it is not an absolute requirement to separate tithes. However, it is even in places where it is not an absolute requirement, it is very strongly encouraged. Um, it is a great mitzvah, and so we'll talk about the great benefits of doing so, that one should separate tithes, ideally, from all of their earnings. A person should separate tithes um, from all of their earnings. Now, how much, how do you figure out what 10% of your earnings are? What, how do you calculate 10% of your earnings? So there is some debate as to exactly how to calculate it, but it is widely agreed that 10, when you're separating 10%, you should separate 10% of your net gains. So not of your gross earnings, but your earnings after expenses that it took to make that money is deducted. So if you have business expenses, um, similar to the way our tax system works, you would be able to deduct your business expenses um, from your earnings. That is not considered profit. You only should need to give, you only should ideally give 10% of your profit to charity. But you are not required to give 10% of your gross earnings. So only of your net profit. What if you have different investments or different businesses or different sources of income? Some earned a profit and some had a loss. So just as you would for your taxes, you have the right to calculate your, to balance your losses and profits. 
and uh, give 10%, give tithes from the total, not just from the what you um, gain, but you can also minus your losses and give 10% from the total. Again, similar to what you would do for your tax calculations. However, there is one very crucial difference in the way we would calculate our tithes um, in order to give ma'aser, in order to separate the tithes from our earnings and the way we separate taxes. And that is our current tax system allows us to defer payment of taxes under certain circumstances. So if we have a 401k or an IRA account or other forms of long-term deferment accounts, we are able to invest, to put our earnings into an account that allows us to defer the taxes that we will not have to pay the taxes until we draw the money out of the account many years later, when perhaps after retirement, when we expect our overall income to be much less and we'll pay less taxes on it. So that works for taxes. However, when it comes to maaser, when it comes to separating tithes, our sages say that we are giving to tzedakah, we are giving to charity. We have no right to defer payment on charity. Because if you have money to give to tzedakah, how can you let the charity lose out? You have no right to defer payment on charity. And therefore, one should separate ma'aser tithes also from the money that they put away in their 401k or their IRA account or any other earning account. You should separate ma'aser immediately and not defer payment of the ma'aser. Later, when you pull the money out of the account, you are not required to give ma'aser again. If you have the custom of or giving ma'aser, you do not have to give it again from the money that you already, from the principal that you already gave the ma'aser from, though you would, of course, give ma'aser on the interest or on the earnings of whatever the uh, account has grown in the years since but you should not defer maser as you would defer your taxes because charity should always be given straight away. So while generally you could follow more or less the tax code with regard to earnings, you only have to give your net earnings and you can balance your profits and losses when give separating maser, but do not follow the tax code with regard to deferments. You should never defer giving charity. Rabbi, I have a question. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So according to what you're saying, I don't think I owe any charity. But <laughs> not owe, but anyway, help me figure this out. I get Social Security. That's not money I'm earning. I get a pension. That's not really an earning. I'm not earning that any money. Any money that you are gaining, whether you work for it or not, you would have to give ma'as or tithes for it. So it wouldn't matter whether you earned it, perhaps earning is the wrong word. If someone gives you a gift, you also need to tie, take ma'aser from that gift. So any income that you get, one should ideally give ma'aser. Again, it is not an absolute requirement. The consensus is that it is not absolutely required, but it is strongly encouraged. And if you can, you definitely should separate 10% of all that you get 
you should separate as ma'aser. When you say net gain, what about the portion that's going for taxes? Do I separate? The portion that's going for taxes is not gain at all. That's going right. to taxes. So you okay. don't have to give ma'aser from, from what you're giving to taxes. You also, um, if you're giving other charities, you don't have to give ma'aser from the charity you're already giving. Um, but from what you are keeping for yourself, one should ideally, again, not require, but one should ideally separate 10% of their earnings and give it to charity. Okay. And this, that's not only earnings, any source of income, whether it's inheritance, whether it's um, pensions, whatever source of income you get, you should ideally separate ma'aser, you should ideally separate 10%. Now, what about, um, now, now where should you give the money to? So many religious groups that require you to give, to tithe, require that you tithe your earnings and give it to the religious organization of whatever it is. Many churches have that rule that you have to tithe and give it to the religious leaders. Judaism does not have that rule at all. The tithes or the miser that you separate do not have to be given to any particular organization or any particular, you do not have to give it to your own community. You do not have to give it to your community leaders. Now there were in Judaism also taxes um, when we had organized Jewish communities and sometimes they would tax for charity as well, but you are not required to give your maaser to the community. In fact, choosing the recipient of your tithes, of your tzedakah, itself is a value that the donor owns. And in Jewish law, um, there's actually a very interesting discussion. If somebody steals what we call in Hebrew, tovat hana'ah, or your ability to choose who to give something to. So in other words, if you were planning to give, you separated charity, it's already designated for charity, you have money designated for charity. Once designated for charity, it is forbidden according to Jewish law to use for yourself. And someone took the money designated for charity and gave it to a charity that you did not choose. And, and uh, took it from you and gave it to another charity. So the rule is, while you cannot sue them for stealing because the, you could not have used the money, you can sue them for taking away your choice of which charity to give it to. And that itself is value. Because in theory, if you have a certain amount of money, you can, that you're, that you're designated for charity, you can sell someone the right uh, to choose who to give it to. They often have, um, they often allow people to win the right of who to, cho to choose which charity to give a donation to. Companies often do this as part of promotions. And so it has value. And so the Torah tells us that every person has the right to choose who to give their charity to. When we spoke about tzedakah, we mentioned that we do have certain responsibilities. We have a responsibility to first help our family. We have a responsibility to first help members of our own city. We have a responsibility to help Jews, our members of our people. 
We have a responsibility to help the poor of Israel. And there is a very clear order of responsibilities as to who should be helped first. Now, what sort of, so when we do have to follow those orders of responsibilities, but nobody can, we don't have to give it to any particular organization or community. Um, we can choose ourselves and give it ourselves to whomever we believe is the right person to give it to. Now, there are some views, notably that of the Maharil, that the tithes should only be given to the poor. The tithes are meant to be given to the poor, and they should only be given to help people in need. They should not be used for any mitzvah, for any religious purposes. Tithes should be used only to help people in need. However, the consensus is, um, based on the works of the Maharam of Rottenberg, that um, a 13th century scholar um, but the consensus is that the money for Maser, the money of Fatahs, can be used for any mitzvah, can be used for any mitzvah, as well as for any, for, to help the poor, to help people who are poor, to help people who are sick, but any type of mitzvah it can be used for, with the exception. You cannot use it for a mitzvah that you are already obligated to do. So you have to eat matzah on Passover. You are obligated to eat matzah on Passover. You cannot use your maaser money to buy matzah to eat on Passover. You have to build a sukkah for Sukkot. You cannot use your maaser money to buy a, to build a sukkah on Sukkot. Or you are required to educate your children you cannot use the master money to pay for your children's education. However, you are not required to educate somebody else's children. You can therefore use master money to pay for someone else's children's education. To study, to, uh, education is a mitzvah. For that matter, you can give the master money to a synagogue to support the prayer or other important communal work. And so you can or you can give the master to support Torah study for people's yeshivas, for people who study Torah. So you can use the master for any, your tithe, for any mitzvah that you are not already required to do. So a mitzvah you are already required to do, you cannot use the, your tithes to spend on, you cannot spend your tithe on, but you can spend your tithe, whether helping the poor, tzedakah, or helping a synagogue, helping Torah classes, helping a school, helping medical needs, it's also a mitzvah, or any of the above, any non-obligatory mitzvah, you can use your maaser, you can spend your maaser on. Now, who should be giving maaser? So ideally, everybody should be giving maaser. We are told, the Talmud tells us, even poor people must give tzedakah. Everybody is required to separate, give tzedakah to give charity. Even the poor must give charity. Nobody is too poor to give charity. Even if you have a little bit, you are required to give some of it for charity. Do, should you give ma'aser, should you give 10% of your earnings to charity? if you don't otherwise have enough to live on. So um, most, uh, it's generally, 
thought that if you do not have otherwise what to live on, you, are, you should not give 10% away since you yourself need the money. However, many um, believe many uh, that, or and we'll, as we'll see soon, that if by giving ma'aser, by separating 10% of your earnings to charity, you will become wealthier. You will have new earnings that you did not expect. And, and the, the truth is that although we encourage giving ma'aser, although we encourage separating 10% of your earnings to charity, our sages say that we can give more than ma'aser. We should give much more than ma'aser. If you can, you can give more, um, 10% is a minimum, but ideally you should give even more of your earnings. The Talmud says that a person should be prepared to spend up to a fifth of all of their assets to do a mitzvah. So for a mitzvah, this is really any mitzvah, a person should be able to spend, prepare to spend up to a fifth of their assets and so scholars say that you should give up to a fifth of all of your assets away for to tzedakah. And as you earn, and this is not only cash that you earn, but even assets, things that you own, a person should ideally give, if possible, a fifth of their assets, if they're able to do so, to tzedakah. Um, and so uh, many have encouraged that not only should you give a maser, tithe to tzedakah, but for those who are able to, for those who have enough to live on otherwise, should ideally give at least, should give 20% of their assets to tzedakah. A person can give, in theory, even more than 20% to tzedakah if they have enough, if they have more than enough than they'll ever need. And thank God many people were blessed with more than they will ever need can give much more to tzedakah. And um, in fact, we're encouraged to give as much as we have to give to tzedakah. The Torah tells us multiple times the importance of giving from our wealth to tzedakah. It's important to remember that we believe that everything that we earn is given to us by God. It is not ours because we worked hard because many people work hard and don't succeed. It is not ours because we took risk and we were smart, because there are many smart people who don't succeed. But anything that we earn, everything that we have is given to us by God to use for the right reasons. Part of that means it was given to us by God in order to help others. And in fact, when we give, a percentage of our earnings to tzedakah. We, if we give a set of percentage, 10%, or ideally even 20% of our earnings to tzedakah, we are essentially making God a partner in our work. And when God is a partner, that essentially incentivizes God to help us. The more we earn, the God, more God earns, because he's getting a set cut, he's getting a set amount. And so therefore, the more we give, if we have a set amount that we have dedicated to tzedakah of our future earnings, then that will, God will then give us more. We will succeed as a result. In fact, the prophet Malachi tells us, God says, please test me. See, 
Try tithing, giving 10% of your earnings to charity and see what happens. See if you become wealthy. I guarantee that you become wealthy. The Talmud tells us that we are never allowed to test God. We're not allowed to say, God, I will do a mitzvah, but I expect in return for you to make me better or you to make my spouse or my child better or for you to make me wealthier or for you, for you to help me in some other way. We're not allowed to condition our doing of fulfillment of God's commandments on God helping us in some way or another. That is forbidden because God chooses to help us and we are independently required to do mitzvahs. Now, <laughs> we can do mitzvahs in order to merit that God should help us. When we need help, it's always good to add in more mitzvahs, but we cannot condition it. Say, I am doing this on condition, expecting something back in return. However, based on the words of the prophet Malachi, the Talmud says, you can test God when it comes to charity, particularly when it comes to tithing. You can say, God, I will give 10% to charity. Let's see if you in return make me wealthy. You in return make me successful. You can test God on it. The Talmud says, try it. It will work. Give 10% to God. You will get back in return. Give 10% to tzedakah of your earnings. You will get more back. God will pay you back. It is God guarantees it. He guarantees that this will work. If you give tzedakah, if you give large amounts to tzedakah, you will get back in return. Please test me with this. The Torah tells us, when it tells us to tithe, it says, aser ta aser, tithe you shall tithe. The sages point out that the word aser tithe um, can also be read as osher, wealth. And our sages say, you tithe, you will become wealthier, guaranteed. Now, exactly how the wealth will come is hard to see. Sometimes the wealth comes not by God giving us money, but sometimes someone can make money and then have high expenses. Someone gets sick and you have a lot of medical expenses or some other unexpected expenses. Um, so it could be by avoiding other great expenses. But we do believe if you separate tithe, you will become wealthy. You give money to tzedakah, you will become wealthy. And ultimately, your greatest, what you really own, what you really have, is that which you gave to tzedakah. That's something that can never be taken away from you. Everything else that you have earned, you can lose in a moment. It can, you, as secure as you think it may be, as as many times over you have insured it, there are no guarantees in life. Everything can be lost in a moment. However, as unfortunately so many of us have seen um, in recent months, many successful businesses have fallen apart. Many people with successful jobs have fallen apart, unfortunately, uh, in ways totally unexpected. You can lose it all in a moment. But what you give to tzedakah can never, ever be taken away from you. There is a story told about um, Rabbi Shimshon Wertheimer, who was the treasurer of the Austrian emperor in the 17th century. He was a great Torah scholar and a very righteous man. He was the treasurer of the Austrian empire. And the Austrian emperor um, once suspected, was once told, people claim 
that he was taking money that did not belong to him. And the Austrian emperor therefore asked him for an accounting of his assets. And he gave the Austrian emperor an accounting of his assets that the Austrian emperor knew was a fraction, a small fraction of what he knew um, Rabbi Shimshon Wertheimer was actually worth. Shimshon Wertheimer at the time was the Rothschild of Europe. He had the largest banking empire in Europe. And so the emperor got mad and he immediately arrested um, um, Shimshon Wertheimer and he seized all his assets for the crown. And uh, Rabbi Shimshon Wertheimer asked to be brought before the emperor. And he said, when you asked me for, and he said, let me explain to you. When you asked me for a total sum of my assets, I gave you not my assets, but a sum of what I had given to charity. Because all the assets that I have don't really belong to me. You can take it away from me in a moment, as you just have. However, the assets I really own are the assets I gave to charity. And indeed, Shimshon Wertheimer had given a very large amount to charity. And um, throughout Hungary and Austria, and um, as and so therefore, um, and what I really own is what I've given to charity. That can never, ever be taken away from me. That is my true wealth. And yet God says, try it. Try separating tithes of your entire earnings. Try it. It will work. God says to try it. It's the one thing that we are able to try, and we are guaranteed that it will work.